Well, if you've got a New Jersey quarter and you flip it over, you'll see one of the most famous images in American history. It's a depiction of General George Washington crossing the Delaware River in the Revolutionary War. So my favorite paintings and one of my favorite stories. The American Revolutionary War began in 1776. It didn't begin well, though, for the colonists. The colonists were suffering many defeats. They were retreating. Morale was low. And so General Washington knew they needed some sort of a victory soon. So he hatched a secret plan to launch a surprise attack on the Hessian garrison in the city of Trenton, New Jersey, by crossing the Delaware River at night. The Hessians were actually German soldiers. They were mercenaries hired by the British, and they were given this one job to guard this town, this outpost in Trenton, New Jersey. And that fact may have factored into Washington's plan, actually, because the, the Germans, they were known for celebrating Christmas evening by getting drunk. And Washington planned this attack on the morning of December 26th, the morning after. So perhaps he counted on them being a bit hungover and ill-prepared for, for battle. He had all the elements of surprise in his favor. It was winter. There wasn't usually fighting in the winter. He was separated by the icy, treacherous Delaware River, and they wouldn't have counted on him crossing it. And it was the morning after Christmas. Washington counted on the Hessians being caught off guard. But come Christmas evening, Washington and his 2,400 men boarded a fleet of ferries on the Delaware River. They also crossed with 18 artillery and 75 horses. It was treacherous, what with the freezing temperatures, the floating ice, and the fact that most of the men could not swim. But by 4 a.m., the army had all crossed, and they proceeded to march toward Trenton. But during the crossing, a loyalist named Moses Doan, he observed Washington crossing. So he ran ahead to the Hessian outpost to warn them that Washington was coming. He went to the headquarters of the Hessian commander, Colonel Johann Rall, but he was denied audience to Rawl. Rawl didn't want to be disturbed because as the story goes, he was engrossed in a game of poker. So the loyalist spy wrote his message on a piece of paper. He said, Washington is coming on you down the river. He will be here before long. A porter took the note to Rawl, but he just took it and he stuffed it into his shirt pocket and he never read it. Well, just after dawn, Washington's army succeeded in surprising the Hessians. They were totally caught off guard. Only three Americans were killed. They captured 1,000 prisoners and tons of munitions. It was a major victory and provided the much-needed boost in morale that the colonists needed. What happened to Rawl? Well, he was fatally wounded in the battle. And found in his shirt pocket, still unread, was the note warning of Washington's surprise attack. And it makes you wonder... You know, if he had read that note, would things have gone differently? This was a major turning point in the Revolutionary War. If, if he read that note, we might still be British. <laughs> but there's an important lesson to learn here, especially for those in, in battle, for commanders, for soldiers. You have to be always alert. There's no downtime in war. You've got to be constantly on guard, watching and waiting for the enemy. It's just the nature of warfare. And sure, you can get distracted by the things of the world, but if you do, you're going to be easy prey for the enemy. Rather, a good soldier must always be on the alert, constantly watching for the enemy and living accordingly. And in a way, this provides a fitting illustration for the Christian life, doesn't it? 
And those Germans were left behind for the British to do one thing, to defend that outpost. And for that one job, they had to keep watch and live accordingly. That, that's it. They just had to keep their eyes open, to be on the alert. In a similar way, Christ, our Lord, he's left us behind in enemy territory. The world is around us, opposed to us, and we're given one job, to stand firm in the faith until he returns. But to do that, you've got to be alert. You've got to be on your guard. You've got to have both eyes open at all times, watching and living accordingly. And it's not surprising that now we find that Christ's literal last word in the Olivet Discourse is in regards to how his disciples should live in his absence. It's to be alert, to be ready, to be watching at all times. We find this now at the end of Mark chapter 13. Take your Bibles, open them there now. After a couple of months, we're finally at the end of this chapter, Mark chapter 13. Throughout, Jesus has been telling his disciples of the end. They wanted to know of the end of the age. They wanted to know when the messianic kingdom would come. They wanted to know when Jesus would reign in his glory. So he proceeds to tell them about the end and what it would be like. However, it wouldn't happen as soon as they had, would, they had thought. The disciples believed that the kingdom was going to appear immediately. That Jesus would begin his reign at any moment. But they learn instead, to the contrary, that in just a few days, Jesus is going to be killed. Rejected by his own people. The kingdom will not come in its fullness right away. There's still really good news here. Namely, that after death, Jesus will rise and secure the hope of the gospel for all who would believe in him. But even after his resurrection, still the kingdom wasn't going to come in its fullness. After 40 days of post-resurrection instruction, the disciples asked Jesus this question. This is after the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. They say, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Even after 40 days of post-resurrection instruction with Jesus, they're still wondering when the kingdom will come, and they're thinking it's going to be any moment now. Their minds were still not fully open until the Spirit came. But nonetheless, you know, what's obvious to us was not obvious to them. Instead, Jesus was going to leave them. He was not going to be in his earthly reign right then and there, but would ascend to heaven, take his place at the right hand of the Father until a later time. And so he responds to them in Acts 1-7, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. After this, Jesus ascends from them into heaven, to the right hand of the Father. But the disciples are not left to despair. A pair of angels visits them and tells them, Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And there's still good news. that Even though Jesus has left, that he will return. The kingdom, it, it's still coming. The timing has been fixed. You know, it might be a while, but the timing has been fixed by the Father's own authority. It's a sure thing. All of this in Acts chapter 1 took place on the Mount of Olives, just outside, the, uh, just outside Jerusalem. And, and almost surely, this whole scene evoked the memory of the Olivet Discourse in the minds of the disciples. Because on that same mountain, in the same place, just days, you know, months before, just a couple days before the cross, Jesus told them in advance about all of these things. We find this recorded in Mark 13. He told them how bad things would get in the future in light of his absence. And he told them about his return and the signs preceding it. 
how he would come finally in power and glory to judge the earth and to rescue his people. And for many weeks now, we've been studying what Jesus said to the disciples about that future time culminating with his return. Last week, we learned that the fulfillment to all these words are still future. They're certain. We don't know when, per se, but we can say every day it's closer than the last. Today, though, we come to the final words of Jesus recorded in Mark in the Olivet Discourse, and we find a word of application. In light of Christ's absence, and in light of his return, how does he expect us disciples to live now, in the meantime? And if his return is delayed even longer, how does he want us to live now in this time between his two comings? Well, Jesus tells them and us today in the final text we have in Mark 13. It's verses 33 through 37. Let's begin by reading that now. Mark 13, starting at verse 33, finishing the chapter, Jesus finally says, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. These closing remarks from Jesus form a very important message. We've learned a lot about the end so far in these sermons, but it's all for naught if you don't get this last part, the application. We live in a unique time between the two comings of Jesus. We're not like those in the Old Testament who lived completely in his absence, but we're not like those in heaven who live completely in his presence. Here we are on earth. We're following Jesus, but he's not with us. So how do we... How does he expect us to live? How are we to live in this time? Looking forward for him to return, yet walking with him now. Well, we're going to dive in. We're going to study this text a little bit further, and we're going to find out. Let's do that now. I'll begin with this. Number one, the exhortation. Just a little outline you can follow along. Number one, the exhortation. It starts in verse 33 with this exhortation. He says, take heed, keep on the alert. Two different words here, they have the same effect. The first word, blepo in the Greek, it means to watch out, to beware, to take caution. In other words, keep your eyes open. There's nothing worse for a baseball player than to close his eyes as the pitch is coming. So it's like just live your life with your eyes open. That's what it means. The second word, agrupneo, the word literally means to stay awake, to be awake. He's telling them to stay alert, to be on the lookout, to be watchful. Both of these commands are in the present tense, which means this is, these are standing orders. Continually be alert, be awake, watch out. Now, of course, he's talking spiritually. He's not talking about watching out for baseballs or the need to stay physically awake at all times. He's exhorting his disciples to keep spiritual watch, to be awake and alert spiritually. Disciples need to constantly look out for danger and resist temptation. And pursue holiness. And that requires a lot of spiritual energy and mental acuteness. You've got to be on at all times. You know, you know what that means, right? You're just you're like you're always on, you're always firing in all cylinders. You're aware of what's going on around you, your circumstances, just just the world. 
And that's so important for Christians because we're, we're in a battle. We're left behind in a spiritual warfare and there's just not time for being caught off guard. You need to be tuned in to God's word and God's will at all times. There's no downtime. There shouldn't be. There's a story of some men. They're waiting to be interviewed for a job as a Morse code telegraph operator. It's obviously back in the day. And they're sitting in the waiting room and they're talking, not paying attention. And over the loudspeaker, there's the sounds of dots and dashes, Morse code, coming through, but they're not paying attention. But then suddenly, one of them rushes up and he runs into the employer's office. And he comes back a little later, smiling, says, I got the job. And the other guys are like, that's it, but that's not fair. How'd you get in there first? How'd you get the job? That, how'd you get before us? And he said, well, if you weren't so distracted, you would have heard the manager's coded message on the loudspeaker. And it said this in Morse code. It said, the man I need must always be on the alert. The first one who interprets this and comes directly into my office will be hired. And it's a perfect analogy for the Christian life and what Jesus is getting at here with this exhortation. Take heed, be on guard, be on the alert. At all times, you're aware of what's going on. You have to be tuned into God's will and God's word at all times. And that's the exhortation. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but it comes with a little bit more explanation. Number two, the explanation The explanation, continuing in verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for for you don't know when the appointed time will come. And here we see how Jesus is connecting connecting these two commands to be on watch with what he was previously talking about in regards to his coming return. You need to be constantly alert because you don't know. You don't know when that appointed time will come. Remember, right before this, verse 32, the previous verse, Jesus just finished telling his disciples that nobody knows the day or the hour of his return. It could be any time. So you just always have to be ready. You must always be ready. Now you might read this, you might wonder, okay, but what's the big deal? Why do we need to be so watchful? Yeah, Jesus is going to come back sometime in the future, but look, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, so I'm, I'm safe, right? I'm fine. So it doesn't really matter when he comes back. Why do I need to be on guard? What's, what's the big deal here? Well, first, reflecting back on what he said throughout the whole Olivet Discourse, there is a special application to what he's saying to those who will be alive during the tribulation time he described. You probably didn't pick up on this, but actually this is the fourth time in this discourse that Jesus has given the command to take heed or be on guard. And each time he gives it, it's always in connection with deception. So look, especially for believers who come to salvation during the tribulation, they need to be alert. Why? For deception. They need to watch out for deception. And look back at verse 5 of chapter 13. How do you begin the teaching? He said, see to it. That's the same word, blepo. See to it that no one misleads you. You have to be on guard against being misled. Why? Because, verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. Same thing, verse 9, but be on your guard. Same word. Look, during the tribulation, demonically inspired deceptions at its highest. Like verse 6 says, countless people will be led astray. Millions will be deceived, including many who thought, claimed they were Christians. Of course, what does it say about them? 
It says they were never saved. They never had a true, genuine faith to begin with. They were phony believers, and the Bible talks about such tares growing among the wheat at all times. But this stresses the importance for true believers to watch out, to not be duped by false teaching. After all, that's the ultimate test that separates the true from the false. Who will hold on to the truth and not give in until the very end? Well, I'll tell you who, true believers. Or as Jesus says, the elect. Look at verse 21. Remember this? And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Note that Jesus includes this phrase, if possible, to say, as if it were possible. All will be tempted, but the elect, true believers, they will stand firm. Now, that's a behind-the-scenes reality that we don't have access to. We don't know who the elect are. They're not labeled. But we can say this. All those who watch out and persevere in the faith to the end, well, they're, they're the elect. That's who he's talking about. And that's why it's still so important for believers to watch out for false teaching. And hence, the, follow, the follow-up command, verse 23, right after that, he says, third time, but take heed. Same word, blepo, but take heed. Behold, I've told you everything in advance. So again, there's a very special application in all this to those in the tribulation, the generation that sees the signs. They will know that Christ is near. but They'll also know that deception is high. So they've got to watch out. The world will be so flooded with false teaching, it's almost impossible not to step in it. It's like walking through a field after a herd of cows has passed through. It's hard not to step in it, but watch out. Be on guard. Be constantly on the alert. And in a way, we can apply that to us because deception still characterizes our age. Satan, the god of this world, is still blinding the minds of the unbelieving. False teachers are already running wild. So we too have to be on alert for deception. It's a fact confirmed all throughout the New Testament. So that's the first reason. And we're reflecting on this question, why? Why is it so important to be on guard? He says it, it's clear, but why? Well, first, for tribulation disciples, they've got to watch out for deception. That's the primary application to that, to that generation. That's been one of his main points throughout the whole Olivet Discourse. But secondly, this command is still important for other disciples, including us. Why? Because the next event in God's prophetic timetable is the coming of Christ for his church in the rapture. And the Master could return at any time. Therefore, We need to be ready for that. We want to receive him. We want to be received by him. And so the importance of this command then translates for us into being in the faith and being faithful until the Lord returns. And this fact is so important for disciples today. Jesus picks it up and runs with it. This is his emphasis. It's made clear with an illustration. Number three, the illustration Look at verse 34. He says next, It's like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Back in the ancient world, this would have been a very common scene. If you were a wealthy landowner and you needed to travel for for business or for any reason, it's going to take some time. 
you know, if you lived in Israel and you needed to travel to Rome, you could you would be gone for a couple of months. That's not a quick tra- trip. Therefore, you would leave your slaves or your servants in charge of the estate. You would assign each one their task. You know, you'd take care of the livestock, you watch the field, you cook and clean, you know, whatever. But the emphasis here in this little illustration falls on the last servant, the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper receives a special command to stay on the alert. He's got one of the most important jobs. He watches that outer gate of the estate and he keeps bad people out and he lets the master back in when he comes back. And to do that job, you've got to be on guard at all times. There's no downtime in that job. You might recall how the ancient city of Pompeii was completely destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Remember that? You know that? The ruins were later discovered and they found people entombed in in all different ways by the ash. Some people were found in these deep vaults that they were hiding in, but it became their, their graves. Others were found petrified, literally running away, entombed by the ash. But one Roman sentinel was found. Where? He was standing at the city gate where he'd been posted, and he was still clenching his weapon. The entire world, or literally, actually his world, was literally erupting around him. Burning embers were raining down, but he just stood his post. And it was eventually entombed, and he's been there for a thousand years. Well, that, that's what God wants from Christians. You'd be like that doorkeeper. You're at your post, and so you're, you're on guard. You're at, you're at watch. You're alert at all times. Jesus uses a third different word here has the idea of, of being vigilant. But it's like he's throwing every word in the book just to tell you this is so important. You have to be on guard. You have to be alert, watching at all times. Again, there's a negative side to this watchfulness. Watch out for danger. Watch out for deception. But his emphasis here now at the end is watch out positively for the master coming back. And Jesus makes this evident with the interpretation. Number four, the interpretation He tells us exactly what he means by this illustration with an interpretation. Verse 35, he says, In light of that, therefore, be on the alert. For you you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Here Jesus knows what he was getting at with that simple illustration. Therefore, he says to his disciples, be on the alert. For the third time in three verses, he's told us, be on the alert. So I think he means it. Just like the doorkeeper, he too wants us to be on the alert at all times. And here he connects this constant alertness with the possibility of the master returning at any time. you got to be ready. He can come back at any time. You just have to be always ready. Ready to receive the master. Ready to honor him. Ready to give an account to the master. And same for us. The emphasis in verse 35 is on the uncertain timing of the master's return. You don't know. You could be back at any time. You just have to be ready at all times. Specifically, Jesus says, come back in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Those are actually four technical terms for the four parts of a Roman watch at nighttime. Based on when they end. The evening ends at 9 p.m., Midnight ends at 12, the rooster crows, that's 3 a.m., and the morning ends at 6 a.m. 
In total, these four watches cover nighttime, the time of darkness, the time you'd least expect the master to return. But look, he could return at any time. There's no advance warning. And so you've got to be ready just in case, verse 36, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Look, you're the servant of the master. You hear you claim to be Christians. You're servants of the master. You belong to him. You're given a job to do. So do it faithfully, lest he come back and find you asleep, abdicating your responsibility, forsaking your duty, and thereby dishonoring him. And of course, Jesus is not telling us to be insomniacs, to literally not sleep. This is a spiritual lesson where it's a warning against spiritual sleep. This mental drowsiness where you're unaware of spiritual things. This is a caution against the spiritual sluggard who doesn't see the enemy coming, who never recognizes temptation and just falls prey all over the place. I mean, you know someone like that? They're just constantly falling into sin. It's like they're oblivious to what is to you obvious temptation. It's like they're coasting through the Christian life, but in a bad way. The servant must realize that their master could return at any moment, and they're going to have to give an account. And this becomes legitimately part of our motivation for being faithful. We're trying to serve our master with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In light of his return, we have to be faithful, on watch, on guard, at all the time. Do you have that desire? Do you have that drive? Are you living faithfully in light of Christ's absence? Now, I don't want you to be discouraged because, let's face it, no disciple does this perfectly. And sometimes we all have our moments of weakness, our moments of spiritual slumber. We fall asleep on the job. We fall into temptation and sin. And sometimes we live like we have no master. This happens. It's part of our struggle. But understand, the true disciple struggles with this because you now have the spirit in addition to your flesh. But the struggle is real. You're going to fight to stay awake and to hold on. Is that something you do? Because the false disciple, there's, there's no struggle there. Do you strive to live with Christ as your master or not? Just you, real quick, turn the page to Mark 14. I mean, you're probably already there. And you recall the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what happened there? Verse 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And began to be very distressed and troubled, verse 34. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Gregoreo, same word, the third word Jesus used in our passage. Keep watch for what? As Jesus means the Roman guards? Or is he talking about maybe the spiritual enemy, like temptation? Well, you remember what happened to the disciples. Jump down to verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is not the perfect illustration of what Jesus was getting at back in chapter 13. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. That's what this watch is all about. The spiritual struggle is real. The struggle against 
Satan, the struggle against the world, the struggle against your own flesh. It's real. You've got to be on it. You can't fall asleep. But how often we fall asleep. Don't think poorly of the disciples because this is us. We do this all the time. We've been posted in this world by our Lord, told to keep watch against sin, told to live in light of his coming. But at times we, we fall asleep and we fall prey to temptation and then into sin. Thankfully, the Lord is gracious with his servants because he knows the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, we still have the flesh. But understand there's a big difference here though. There's a big difference between a disciple like Peter who falls asleep and stumbles, but then gets back up and follows Christ, and a disciple like Judas who falls asleep and falls away and never comes back. In a way, isn't that the ultimate test of true discipleship? Will you be faithful to the master until the end? In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus tells several parables, and they're now mostly recorded in Matthew. And so many of them feature a master leaving his servants behind, giving them a job, and then he goes on a long trip. And his departure, it's like a test. Will you be faithful while the master's not here or not? And when he returns, the faithful are rewarded while the unfaithful are cast out of his presence forever. And such will happen to all phony disciples who live this life as if Jesus is not their master. I mean, he's not around and they just do what they want. In the end, they will be cast into the outer darkness because they rejected the light. Well, back in Mark 13, we can wrap this up now. And the chapter finishes this last line, verse 37. He says, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. It's now the fifth time in five verses, in one way or another, he's told us to be on the alert. So do you think he means it? This is the last word and it's the most significant because it translates everything he said from his disciples now to all disciples. And that includes us. He says it to all. These are permanent standing orders for believers to be on the alert. This just goes to show you that the whole point of the Olivet Discourse was not to fill the disciples' minds with knowledge about end times. It's not the point. This was an admonition. This whole thing was an exhortation to live in light of what's coming. And what is coming? God's wrath is coming. Judgment on sin and rebellion is coming. Christ is coming. You need to live in light of that. And so this is a call to live with your eyes open, recognizing what's coming and just being ready, doing what he calls you to do. Now, at this point, we get it. We've covered Christ's command. Like he said it five times. I hope you get it. This is important, something you need to do. Be on watch. But now I want to spend a few final moments talking about, okay, what does that actually look like in day-to-day practice? Well, what does that really translate into? Like, How do I keep watch? What's the difference between a disciple who is awake and spiritually alert and a disciple who is asleep and spiritually drowsy? And here I want, to, I want to build on this metaphor of darkness that Jesus gives back in verse 35. It's actually typical where he envisions the master returning at nighttime. Darkness, that's when you would least expect the master to return. But darkness is also a way to represent the spiritual state of the world without Christ in it. If I can take that thought and run with it, just humor me for a minute and turn to John 1. Or you can listen along, but you can turn to John chapter 1. This is going to help 
practically explain what Jesus means by telling us to live alert in this present age? What, what does it look like? Well, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus develops this contrast between light and darkness. It's all over the place. This world is dark. It's darkness. But Jesus comes as, as the light. The light in the world. John 1, verses 4 and 5 Speaking of Jesus, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. The world lives in darkness, which is to say the world lives in sin and rebellion against God. Spiritual darkness pervades the world. And not only did the darkness fail to comprehend the light, pretty soon the darkness started to hate the light. John chapter 3 Verse 19. It's right after the famous John 3.16, verse 19. He says, this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Already we see contrast between those in the world and those in Christ. Those who live in darkness and those who live in the light. And this is developed further for believers. Because if you follow Jesus, who walks in the light, well, what does that mean for you? Where are you going to walk? Also in the light. John chapter 8. Let's keep going. Couple more pages, John chapter 8. One of his significant I am statements, John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Even though the world is dark, Jesus is light. He walks in the light, and if you follow him, that means you're going to walk in the light too. If you are a true follower, that is, you will find yourself walking in the light. Now, lastly, chapter 12, turn there. The disciples learned something shocking, namely that the light is going to be leaving them. Jesus, the light of God, the light of the world, he's going to leave the world. And that means the darkness is going to come back, doesn't it? Nighttime will resume. So how can we walk in the light if Jesus, the light, if he's gone? But John twelve thirty five, Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Don't miss that last part. Because here Jesus is promising that if you believe in him, if you trust him by faith for salvation, you'll be transformed such that you become a son of the light. In other words, you will have Christ in you. You will have the light in you. And in that way, you become like a little light yourself. So even as Jesus leaves and the nighttime returns to the world, that's true. We don't have to walk in the darkness. In fact, we won't if you have Christ in you by faith. You will still walk in the light. 
Jesus has brought his followers into the light for good. John 12, verse 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Let me put it together now. Right now, Jesus is gone. And the world, is it dark? Yeah, it's, it's pretty dark out there. It's, it's pitch black. Spiritual darkness, sin, depravity. The world is dominated by it. And this darkness, it seeks to swallow us up, doesn't it? Sin, temptation, that they're everywhere. That shouldn't, that shouldn't stop us, because even though we're not with Christ, Christ is with us. He's in us. The light is within. If your faith in him is real, he transforms you and he transfers you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so despite the fact that he's gone, how should you live now? How should you walk? Well, it's obvious. Walk in the light. Are not evil deeds done in darkness? But the message is for you to stay in the light. Have nothing to do with what the world does. Pursue Christ and Christ-likeness. Listen to this, Luke 21. This is the parallel to our passage in Mark 13, where Jesus, he says a little bit more and he drives it all home. Luke 21, 34, he says, be on guard, same word, same command, be on guard, so that, he gives an explanation, so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep, keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What's coming? Judgment's coming and Christ is coming. And how do you stand? How do you escape judgment and how do you stand before Christ? Well, by faith, by true saving faith in him. But what is the mark of true saving faith? What is the display of true saving faith? It's just a life of walking in the light until the end. And for that, to do that, you have to be on guard. You have to be on watch. You have to be alert at all times. You can't live that faithful life, which is a display of your saving faith, unless you're alert. You have to see temptation and flee. You have to see spiritual warfare and stand firm. You've got to be awake. That's the point. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. And there it is. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. Take Christ's call seriously. And take your discipleship seriously. When will the end come? When will judgment come? When will Christ come? We don't know. But we do know every day it's closer than the last. And that means the darkness is closer to being over than the last. And the light is closer to coming back than the last. So if you follow him, put off the darkness in your life. Live soberly in the light. This final verse will hopefully bring it together for you. Romans 13, 11 through 14. I'll read it for you. Romans 13, 11. He says, do this knowing the time, that it is already hour for you to awaken from sleep. 
For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. There it is. That's it. That, that just brings it all together. That's exactly what Jesus was getting at. You just wake up. The end is coming. Jesus is coming. Start living like you believe that. That's the point. Start living like you believe that. It, it's dark, but the day's coming. So if you follow the light, don't live in the darkness. Live in the light. And for that, you've got to be awake and alert. It's not the time to sleep. Isn't it amazing that throughout the whole discourse, the whole Olivet Discourse, Christ's point has never been to just fill our minds with end times. Some people get that wrong. That's all they think about. But the, the lesson here is not just some head knowledge about end times. This whole point has been to prepare us to live in light of his absence and in light of his return. So let's do that now. Wake up, get ready, be on guard. The night is almost gone. The day is near. So let's live like that. This is the effect the blessed hope of Christ coming back is meant to have on believers. The light is coming, so let's live in the light. Let's pray. Our Lord God in heaven and Christ at the right hand, right now you are not with us, or rather we should say we are not with you. We are not in heaven. Though you came and and died and rose and secured our salvation, and even now in the present you have brought us to salvation by our faith in you, you've left us on earth still, like you left the original disciples, left behind to live in a dark world. And part of us wonders why. Why why not just, just kill us and take us to heaven now? It would be so much easier and so much better for us. But that's not your will or your plan, Lord. You, you desired to leave us for a time in the darkness. That, that's not, that doesn't spell the end for us, though, because you have, you've brought us to the light. For those who have repented of their sins and, and called upon Christ as Lord and Savior, you have transferred them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And even though the world is dark, That's where the light is meant to shine, and now we are that light. You've called us and left us behind to be you, the light to the world, that the nations would hear and be glad and come to the light as well. So help us to to take seriously this call. We have a mission as doorkeepers to reach the world with the gospel, to live like Christ in this age, and to be constantly alert and ready for for the end. So we've got to take this seriously, Lord. The, The world is full of distractions so easy to, to just get carried away with, with entertainment or life is hard. Just, just get carried away with whatever. But you call us for, for seriousness, a real task, and requires our full attention. So may we report to duty ready and keep our eyes open. We long for your return. It's been a blessing studying this, this passage. We look forward to Christ coming back, to, even to judge and to rescue We pray you come quickly, Lord Maranatha, you come quickly for us, and we delight in you. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.